we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. Let your glory go 
I'm, I really struck a chord with Darren because she, she's really into rocks, really into rocks. Um, I'm gonna set this right. No one, no one grab the rock, please. Um, it is good to be with you. Um, it is good to sing songs that remind us of who we are as children of God, that we are declared as sons and daughters of the living God. I hope you get a sense of that, that um, man, when we gather together, we gather as his children because um, Jesus has redeemed us from our sin and we become sons and daughters. And when we sing songs, we sing those songs declaring that truth because it's our own. I hope you feel that, see that as we worship, worship together. If you're a guest with us today, my name is Danny Panter. I'm one of the associate pastors on staff, and it is one of my privileges and joy to, to preach and to speak the word of God to you in our worship time together. But if you're a guest with us, we don't want to take you for granted. We certainly don't. We are thrilled that you're here with us. We know it's no small thing to enter into a new um, if you're a follower of Christ, move, moving into a new uh, gathering of worship. Um, if you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is, and um, we're so delighted that you're here. This is a safe place for you to ask tough questions and to listen to truths about Jesus and who he is and what he asks us to do in, in all of life. Um, but if you're a guest with us today, if you're new here, um, would you just... Um, do us a simple honor by filling this card out. It should be right in front of you. And then um, at the close of our time together, if you go out those doors and to the right, um, there's a, what we call our Ask Me booth. There's a person there. If you could just give that to, to them on your way out, um, we would be delighted. And then um, at the right time, we'll make contact with you to build that friendship with you. But we're glad, we're glad that you're here. So we are in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Um, I don't know how many of you follow Reverse every week, but let me just remind you what Reverse is all about. Reverse is a very simple system for our church family where we can literally be on the same page together, not just during a worship gathering, but also on your own at home when you have a regularly, regular time in the Word of God or in your Bible study group on Sunday mornings or small group during the middle of the week. It's a way that we say, hey, we're going to read... Exodus chapter 20 together, and you're going to hear it on Sunday morning, and you're going to do it in your own devotional time, and you're going to do it in small group. It's really helpful. So if you're not regularly in reverse, let me encourage you to start, to start. And it's really easy this time around because I think our, our verse this week is like four words. In the Hebrew, it's only two words. But nonetheless, uh, let me encourage you to engage in reverse together as a church family. It's a valuable, valuable Thing. Um, so let's just say it together. I'm not going to have you stand. Our commandment this week is you shall not murder. You shall not murder. Up to this point, we have gone through five of the commandments. The first four is a reminder us that we ought to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's a, it's a reminder that we are brought into this relationship with God as his covenant people and that all of our heart and attention should be given to this God who is our God and we are his people. And then we've turned a corner um, in uh, the fifth commandment through the following 
where we are now beginning to be reminded that we're also called to love our neighbor as ourselves, And there's a sacredness to this relationship that we have with one another. Last week, we kind of looked at the sacredness of the family, that design where um, children should honor their father and their mother so it might go well with them in the land that I have given you. Jesus, um, God set a pattern for the sacredness of the family, that his steadfast love might be known from generation to generation. And now in um, verse 13, you shall not murder. We are reminded of the sacredness of life, the sacredness of life, how we ought to relate to our neighbor, to love our neighbor and cherish their life and encourage their life. It's also not just a reminder, a reminder to us of how we ought to love our neighbor and the sacredness of human life that we are precious and unique and made in the image of God. But when we kind of get to the heart of it, we're also reminded that God's desire and longing for us as made in the image of God is to have relationship, right? To know God and to know and love one another. To love God and to love one another. And, and murder is the opposite of all of that. It's complete and total separation where that life can no longer fulfill that need and that design for us as human beings to know and to love God and to know and to love one another. And, and so that's why God says, don't, don't take life. Don't take life. This life is sacred. It's, this life is made in my image. And when you take this life, you rob that life of its purpose and design to know me and to know one another. Don't do that. Don't do that. The benefit of having the incarnate son, um, the very word of God, uh, come to earth and walk and live and teach is that on several occasions, um, Jesus provides a beautiful uh, interpretation of the commandments. And he untwists what the Pharisees have twisted. So um, we can recite Exodus 20, 13, but now I'm gonna ask if you would go with me to Matthew chapter 5, 21. On the Sermon on the Mount on several occasions, Jesus has said, you have heard it said, this is one of these moments, and what a gift. What a gift that Jesus says, let me tell you what God really means by this commandment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace uh, towards us. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you, Lord, that we are made in your image. Uh, thank you, Lord, that we can know you and love you and know one another and love one another. Lord, I pray that we embrace those truths and live them out every day. Help us to see and understand your word and apply it to our life. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So we're made in the image of God. We are made for harmony and fellowship with one another. Murder or to kill robs that, destroys that design that God has given to us. And Jesus tackles this commandment. In particular, he tackles how the Pharisees uh, have twisted that commandment. So beginning in verse 21, it says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you idiot, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. We know what the Pharisees were doing 
whether intentional or unintentional, it reduced the commandment, and not just this only, but all the commandments that were an outward expression or behavior to that behavior alone. As long as I don't kill someone or murder someone, I will not be judged. Um, anyone taken a human life? Wow, man, we're scot-free. We're good, right? That's the Pharisees would think. We're good. We haven't crossed the line. Jesus is not so fast. Not so fast. He gets to the very heart of the matter of this commandment, and he says, but have you been angry? But have you been angry towards a brother? Remember Genesis chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, the story of Cain and Abel? Um, God confronts Cain in his anger. And anger was in Cain's heart. And God said, Cain, be careful, lest your anger control you. What happened? His anger controlled him. And he murdered his brother. Jesus gets to the heart of it. Jesus identifies that murder, our taking of human life, begins right here in the human heart. Unjust anger towards a behavior, a self-centered, self-exalting kind of anger begins here. It's not just the outward expression of taking of a human life. Jesus says, no, you, you've got to keep this in check too. In fact, he says, listen, God will condemn you for unchecked anger, even if it never leads to sinful behavior. You're going to be just as judged. Wow. Jesus nails the human heart. He pushes past the externals and he says, no, you need to fix that too. You need to fix that too. But I've never laid a hand on anybody, they would say. But Jesus would say, but you've hated and you've burned with anger in an unhealthy kind of way. You've held on to that grudge. Some of us, some of us for years, you've embraced bitterness towards a person, someone who's made in the image of God. And because of that, you are equally condemned as if you had even taken that person's life. That's not all. That's not all. Jesus also condemns deadly words. One of the fruits of anger, unchecked, unrepentant anger that is self-absorbed and bitter towards a person, one of its fruit is deadly words. And Jesus says, you're not off the hook. You're not off the hook if you haven't laid a hand on your brother, but even if you've spoken to your brother with deadly words, you are liable. So according to Jesus, you'll be judged by the harmful words that we speak to one another. There's no such thing as flippancy in the heart and mind of Jesus. In other words, wow, I just got caught off guard and just popped out of my mouth. I couldn't control it. It was just there. Jesus says, no, 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 no. There's really no such thing as flippant words because from out of the heart, the mouth, what? Speaks. And he just demonstrated that. You know, murder, anger precedes murder. So does harmful words. We, we let it boil over the cauldron of a wicked heart. And Jesus says there's no flippancy, even with the harmful words and daggers for words that we can lobby at friend and neighbor. He says it's not flippant. Matthew 12, 34 through 35, listen to these words of Jesus. 
He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. He's talking about words here. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. And Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, you who have twisted this commandment and said, I haven't laid a hand on my brother, but you have said vile and wicked and painful and hurtful things to your brother, and you are just as worthy of judgment for those words that have come out of your mouth. Because those words paint a picture of the condition of your heart an overflow of your heart. And for that, you're condemned to hell, he says. To hell. Furthermore, just as they are painful and hurtful, we know that they are deadly words. Words have a power unto themselves. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. He goes on in verse chapter 24. Verse 2 says, For their hearts devise violence, right? That anger. Their hearts, their thoughts devise violence. And their lips, it says, and their lips talk of trouble. Man, Jesus goes right there with these Pharisees. You, you will be condemned for the anger that guns goes unchecked and unrepentant in your heart. And you will be held accountable for the painful words that come out of your mouth when they come out like daggers to a brother or sister or neighbor or friend or even people that we don't know just see on a TV screen or read in a news blip. He says you'll be held accountable for that because your words have power. They bring death. They come out of a heart that seeps with death and destruction. Be careful. Even in the church, it's not just out there, it's in the church family too. Paul's tell the, listen, Paul tells the church in Galatia who were have bickering with one another, saying painful things. You know what he says in Galatians 5.15? Watch out before you eat each other alive. Watch out before you destroy each other. James 5 will tell us that the tongue is a fire, a world of evil, setting on fire the entire course of life, which is set on fire by hell itself. Our words have a destructive power and weight to them. We've got to be careful, Jesus says. Your words are dangerous. Your words bring death. Your words are murderous, and you'll be held accountable for them. James will even go on to say, you know, salt and fresh water can't come out of the same spring. You can't bless your brother one minute and then curse him the next minute. It shouldn't be that way. Your heart should be different. Your heart can't produce both kinds of fruit. It shouldn't produce both kinds of fruit. Because your brother and sister was made in the image of God. Stop killing each other with deadly words, James would say, and Jesus would say. But do y'all get where James... What James did there, he says, stop saying those kind of things, using those kind of words, those curses to your brother or sister or neighbor, because don't you know that your brother and sister is made in the image of God? 
One of the values that we have for the sacredness of human life is that we know that we were made in the image of God, that we are set aside from all of creation, that there is something to the human experience in our nature that points back to who God is and makes much of him and glorifies him. And in the same way that lifting a hand against a brother destroys that sacred life, see what James is saying? Your words do the same thing. Even your words destroy, discourage, dismantle, separate that person who is made in the image of God. That's why we don't take a human life. That's why we don't say and speak daggers because our brother and sister is made in the image of God. We'd all be locked up, wouldn't we? Isn't that incredible? I mean, it's not surprising. We read through these commandments and every week we're reminded just how vile we are, how despicable despicable and wretched our hearts are. But if there's a part of you that's wondering, wow, I think we're okay with this commandment, let me just remind you a little more. Genesis chapter six, verse five, God looks over all of his people that were alive and living at that period of time. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. We know he brought judgment against the earth, rescued Noah's family, but all the rest perished because of the wickedness of the human heart and the thoughts of violence that was in everybody. Is that too distant? Or are we the same? I would say that's us. More than ever, we live in a culture of deadly words born in wicked hearts. Well-crafted words, pro-choice words has led generations of women and men a world over to believe that the taking of the life of an unborn child is somehow noble, equitable, right if necessary, millions losing their lives at the hands of words. And not just the unborn. Social media news is filled with venomous words tossed back and forth like grenades. Some even specialize in this tactic, and our culture eats it up. Our culture just celebrates. Romans chapter two talks of, or Romans chapter one talks about the culture just clapping when people are thrown into darkness and enjoy darkness, dark behavior. And this is what the world does: just claps at these kind of wor- words and grenades and daggers thrown around. Some can't get enough of a president who really sticks it to them. Others can't run out enough words to impale him. My goodness, if our news outlets stopped reporting on what he said or she said or what some Twitter feed said and the response to that Twitter feed, they might have enough time to actually report what's happening in the world. We're so consumed by what they say, what we say, and having the perfect retort just to really drive it home. War of words. Not to mention, no one can even say or post anything without being inviscerated for it. We analyze every single word. Can't believe they said it like that. Putting intentions behind a simple post. We've all done it. We live in a woke world where everyone is either a victim and oppressor. And let me tell you, Woke words are never a healing bomb. Masqueraded in justice, they do just as much killing. Now, I'm for 
anyone who wants to speak up and say tough things about injustice in our world, but that's not what I'm talking about. The person who speaks their mind is the hero in our culture, the one-liner comeback. The person who holds their tongue is, tongue is depicted as weak. And yes, there is a time and a place to speak strong words. Jesus did. That's another sermon. Had a friend in college who often bragged about her ability to speak her mind, and most often it resulted in letting someone else have it. But let me tell you, if we want to model what it means to use words to bring encouragement or to stand up for yourself in our culture, by all means, let's not model that by letting people have it. How many churches have been destroyed or marriages by the slow drip of poisonous words or volcanic eruptions? Words. When it comes to blistering hot words, we all throw perfect fastballs. And we nail them. If we don't say it, we're thinking it. Man, I'm just scratching the surface, folks. Never before in human history have we been able to totally and completely destroy a person without ever having to actually speak to them face to face. A barrage of text, a post, an image... And, a, and with it, we stick them real good to sometimes horrific and lasting effect. We live in a world of evil. We make it our practice to lobby words and put people to death. A culture of death, dehumanizing everybody in our world of words. No one is sacred. The thing is, we all see it and we all feel it. It's like Tar and feathers just take to our skin. We're a mess. I mean, goodness, I mean, really, there's, there's no way out of this except Jesus. The commandments remind us that without Jesus, we are always a mess. We are always murderous. And without Jesus, we can do nothing. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and an unclean people Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death, these words of death, this culture of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, Paul will say. And we say, thanks be to God through Christ our Lord who redeem us out of wickedness, out of hearts that treasure wickedness and evil and vile things. If it were not for the ark, our Jesus, we'd all be drowning in our own sin and condemnation like the rest of them. That's me and that's you. If you're a follower of Christ, man, you rejoice at this moment. Man, left to me, I would have nothing. I would be condemned, dead, separated because of the words and thoughts and anger of my own heart. Jesus doesn't stop there in our closing time together. Um, Jesus reminds us that we have a power to bring life. Matthew chapter five, verses 23 through 26, let me read these. Jesus says, so, right, so, this is what's coming next. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. 
First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Church, we are called to be a peculiar kind of people who live in a very wicked and rough world of words and life and death. Jesus says, you're to be altogether different as the church. You're to speak differently. You're to bring life. You're to bring harmony uh, as opposed to separation and destruction. You're to be altogether different in this world. And so that's where Jesus goes. If you want to know what it is to be righteous, if you want to know how to avoid judgment because of words and attitudes in your own heart, this is what you must do. So Jesus offers two scenarios. The first scenario is um, someone who is at the altar about to give an offering, a gift unto the Lord as an act of worship, right? They're celebrating this relationship with God, a God who loves them, who's made a way for them. And for us, we celebrate what Christ has done. He has bridged the gap. He has forgiven us of our sin and restored us back to himself. And we come into worship and we say, yes, I'm redeemed. I'm a son and daughter of God, yes. And then we stop and remember Jesus says, and you, and you remember that a brother or sister has something against you. And Jesus says, stop what you're doing. Before you celebrate this relationship of reconciliation, you better go reconcile with your brother. Another way that he would say this is, if you want to avoid judgment and not make a mockery of what Christ has done for you, to restore you and reconcile you, coming to you, dying for your sin, then you by all means better lay down that act of worship or that offering and go find that brother or that sister and do everything you can to be a restorer, a reconciler. And it may be that words did come out of your mouth that hurt a brother or sister and you're at the altar and you remember those things that I have said last week or months ago. And I know I hurt my brother or sister. Jesus would say, if you wanna be righteous, you've gotta be different than the rest of the world. You've gotta own up to your painful words and you've gotta get up from kneeling down and you've gotta to go to that brother or sister and make things right. The other scenario is Someone is taking you to court because you have offended them. You have done something that's worthy of judgment. And Jesus says, you better settle on the way. You better settle on the way. Because if you don't settle, if you just hold on to grudges and bitterness, unrepentance, then you could be paying for that for the rest of your life. The picture that Jesus is painting for us is the very opposite of the command, you shall not murder. And the picture that we have of Jesus is him saying, yes, you're right, you shall not murder. Watch that anger, watch those words, but you shall reconcile. Be a reconciler. Speak words that bring life. Do everything you can to bring restoration between you and a brother or you and a neighbor. 
Remember murder. At the very beginning, I said murder, the taking of life, someone made in the image of God, is that picture of ultimate separation. For the wages of sin is death, cut off from God and cut off from others. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't take someone's life. Even if it's just words, don't take someone's life, but do everything you can to bring harmony. Be a restorer. And I think Jesus would say to us, you know to what extent that I went to bring restoration to you? I came to you. Even when you were an enemy, when you had said vile things about me and my father, I came to you. I laid all things aside. I am God of very God. I have every right of God has, but I laid it down. I didn't cling to those things and say, how dare you say that to me? No, I laid those things down and I came in and I walked beside you and I began to speak life to you and I even laid down my life. For as a lamb led to slaughter, he held his mouth shut so that he could bring reconciliation restoration, harmony, togetherness. Jesus says, um, if if you want to be righteous church, if you want to be my church, if you want to be the kind of person that brings life rather than death, if you want to be the kind of church that brings restoration, then do what I do. When you speak, speak life. Bring life and do whatever you can as much as it is up to you to make things right with your brother and sister. My goodness, don't we need to hear those words? We have the power to bring life and harmony to others. Not only do we have the power, it's our calling as the church. It's what sets us apart from the rest of the world. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he spoke two words. He said, come forth. He brought life. Hebrews 1.3 reminds us that by the word of his power, God created everything, and by the word of his power, he sustains life. By the word of his power. And we being made in his image, have the same kind of power to similar effect? Will we use it? Will the words that we speak to a child or to children encourage or discourage, bring life or a slow death? Words to a friend, words to a spouse. My goodness, what if, what would it look like if just for a week, Spouses committed to only say kind things to one another, to bless one another. I mean, what if we committed as moms and dads just for a week as the church? Man, we're going we're gonna to check our heart, hold our tongue, and when we speak, we're going to speak blessing and life to our children. What do you suppose would happen? We might just bring life back to hurting and dead things. Jesus says, do that. Words to a neighbor, to a coworker. Bring life. We're going to move into a time of response, and part of our response today is 
remembering the person and work of Jesus. We have the privilege of doing this thing that Jesus has commanded us to do. But can I ask you, friend, brother, and sister, whoa, this really puts it to the test, doesn't it? Is there a brother and sister that you ought to go to, a husband or a wife that you ought to go to before you do this? I think it's just an opportunity for us to respond and say, Lord, I thank you for how you have redeemed us. Help me be a reconciler to my brother. We remember what you have done. We celebrate it. Now help me do the same to my brother. You might not be a believer today. Um, You might not be a believer. You've never put your faith and trust in Christ. Um, My prayer is that you do today. He is a redeemer. He restores us, and we're desperate for it. You come to him in faith today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace to us. Lead us as we respond to your word. Help us. Help us to be your church that speaks life as you've spoken life to us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. I want you to stand with me. Um, Stand with me. We're gonna continue to worship um, through the Lord's Supper. Last week I kind of introduced to you a new way that we'll do that. We're gonna do that similarly today. I won't give you as many instructions. You know what we'll do. But I would like us um, to participate in a little bit of liturgy this morning. And so um, we're going to have a time of reader and response. Um, I'm going to speak and ask you a question, and you're going to respond. It should be up on the screens uh, for you. Um, And so just be guided by what's on the screen. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with, his, with him graciously, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are born conquerors through him who Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Father, that's true. I pray it's true of all of us that we come to you in faith and we 
eat of your body and drink of your blood to remember that it's you and what you have done through your son Jesus that gives us life, forgiveness, restoration, and peace. And we rejoice and say thank you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Deacons, you come forward. If you recall, last month um, we did the Lord's Supper a little differently. We had stations set up in the room and we asked that when you were ready, implying that there ought to be a time of contemplation and prayer of thanksgiving and rejoicing, repentance. And then when you were ready, that you, if you're part of a family, dads, that if, if you're here, you would lead your family to the closest station and you would take um, the cup and the bread and, and family would take cup and bread and then you would return to where you are um, and you would take the bread and cup when you are ready. So Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that the night that Jesus was betrayed, he met with his disciples and he took the bread and he said, after he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, um, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Deacons, you can get the elements and go to your stations. Friends, brothers and sisters, when they're ready, when they're ready and they're different places in the sanctuary, there are four stations. Again, go to the closest one. Receive the elements from them. Return to your seat. And then when you're ready to take the bread and the cup, you can do it on your own time. We will see 
blazing sun shall pierce the night and I will rise among the saints my gaze transfixed on Jesus but I just want to remind you that when we do the Lord's Supper, this altar is still open. Um, you can come and pray to the Father here and your commitment is to pray over you. I just want to say we, the response doesn't end here. It continues through our time of worship and we invite you to respond to God faithfully. Yeah. 
What can I say? So what can I say? First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.